it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 323. Today, we're going to answer some fantastic listener questions we got. So speaking of questions, if you have a question, if you have a burning question you're just dying to ask, we would love to answer it on the air. You can go to newsletter at einvestingforbeginners.com and submit a question. You can go to Spotify and you can ask questions in the chat there. So those are two great ways for you to reach out to us if you have any questions. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into the stuff. So here we go. So we got this great question from Mercedes about a month ago on Spotify. And she asks, is Robinhood a good starter investment? So Andrew, what are your thoughts? What is Robinhood a good starter investment? Let's take a look at Robinhood. I actually haven't looked at the company in a while. Felt like they were really, really popular for a very short amount of time. And then it's kind of fizzled off with a lot of other kind of 2020, 2021 trends. Yeah. So I'll admit, I haven't looked at them in a while. Have you? I have not. No, it's been, it's been since that period really that I kind of like, eh, no, I lumped them in with the Pelotons and the Zooms of that period. So it's down like 75% over its life. So it looks like an IPO at around 35 bucks a share. It's now trading at like $8 a share. So you'd have to, I mean, on the air math, quadruple mm-hmm. in a five x to make the money back from here. If you were right, if you're in that, which unfortunately is more common than I think beginners realize, when you buy into an IPO, a lot of times it doesn't work out well, mm-hmm. and you lose a lot of money, and it becomes hard to make a money back. Yeah, very, very hard. And that's not to derail the Robin Hood question, but that is apropos to talk about because I'm going to butcher the name. I'm not, I've never really been sure exactly how to pronounce it, whether it's 
Sheen, Shane, Shine, the clothing, the discount clothing company from China, they filed to do an IPO. And you know that there's going to be a lot of frenzy around that one. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't argue with what Robinhood has done. They have completely transformed the whole stock market game. I mean, now we can mm-hmm. buy stocks with zero commission. That was not a thing before Robinhood came around. No. I don't know if... I don't really see them going away. And that's kind of what makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. Brokerage businesses, because I've done some work in the Schwab's, one of those old stodgy brokerage businesses. They have pretty sticky customers for the most part. Um, right. They had a little scare recently. We won't get into that, but it's not, they don't, it's not rocket science for them to keep customers. Mm-hmm. And so from a narrative kind of common sense perspective, it sounds like, Robinhood should be around for a while, but does that make that a good investment is a completely other question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. And they are certainly have been influential in the markets and not only for the zero commissions, but bringing the whole front running of investments to the forefront that really became well, much more well known once the GameStop saga kind of played out because that was a big hullabaloo about all that. So I guess the bigger question is if you were going to start now, so not whether you bought the company with an IPO, but if you're going to start now, would Robinhood be a good starter investment? And I guess there's a couple ways you could go about thinking about this. Number one, if this is your step off the ledge, get your feet wet, start investing, then yeah. I mean, if this is something that you're interested in and you want to learn more about or you like the company and what they're doing, you have to understand that when you're first starting out, you know, the chances that you'll make a mistake are good. I mean, the chances even if you know what you're doing are good. But I think as a starter investment, you know, compare that to investing in Netflix or Starbucks, I don't see any reason why Robinhood wouldn't be a good starter investment just because if it gets you in the game and gets you started down the path and it's something you're curious to learn more about, then I think, you know, yeah, it's absolutely a great choice for a good starter investment. What do you mean by starter investment? For me, I mean, when I think of starter investment, I'm interpreting it as this is the first time I'm going to buy a company. So like, you know, the first investment I ever make. And you know, the first investment I made was Microsoft. A lot of people do Starbucks. A lot of people do Netflix or Amazon or something like that. I think if it gets you in the game, I think I'm okay with it. Is it good investment? I that I don't know. I mean, we're talking about investing our life savings here. Or what no, are you <laughs> no, not investing our life savings here. I wouldn't recommend anybody invest their life savings in their first investment ever. I would encourage you to dip your toes in, you know, slowly. And start to learn how the game is played before you go whole hog and throw everything you've ever earned in your entire life into any one company, whether it's a Robinhood, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's Visa, Microsoft, Apple, you name, insert company here. I would never encourage anybody to do that. But as something that you're going to put 50 bucks towards because you want to just get into the game, then I think it's probably fine. Yeah, completely agree. So what if it's somebody who's... This isn't their very first investment, but they're still looking at this as a potential stock pick. And maybe they've been investing for two months, six months, a couple of years. What do you have to say about a stock like Robinhood, where it's at right now? Well, I think then it starts to become more about using this as a tool to learn the fundamentals of 
trying to figure out what could be potentially a good investment. And that includes some not sexy things like reading the 10K, reading earnings reports, looking through the financial statements to determine whether this company is a viable investment that's going to earn, it's going to grow and earn more money over the years, which will in turn likely cause you to earn more money because the market will, in theory, recognize that this company is performing well and is a good investment. So that means learning things like ratios. So the PE ratio, the return on equity ratio, really understanding the business model and what it is that Robinhood does to make money as well as attract and retain customers and also determining how strong is the balance sheet. Is it a company that can withstand any sort of financial upturn or downturn that may happen in the markets? And how fiscally responsible is the CEO? And is he in the business for you or for himself? And those are all things that you have to determine to decide whether it's something you want to add to to your portfolio as you've started to grow the portfolio. I don't have direct answers to those. This is not a company that I follow. So I guess, turn it back to you. Do you have any thoughts on whether this would be Let's say that your fourth investment, would, what would your, be your thoughts? What's the best way to steward your wealth? Looking to find great businesses with a margin of safety? My advice, Value Spotlight at valuespotlight.com. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? 
Wherever you go next, make it happen with a Smarter Travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I think everything you said is just right on the money. That's There's just no way of getting around the fact that you're going to have to roll up your sleeves, do the work, and, you know, boom. Maybe learn something that you know might be tough to swallow, but you might have to learn some things if you do want to become a stock picker. That's going to be part of the game. And if you don't want to do that, go buy an index fund. The only thing I will say in regards to Robinhood in particular is these type of stocks tend to have high risk, high reward characteristics. And so it's a very early company, early in its growth stage. It's growing like a weed but it's also not profitable. And so the odds of those kinds of investments becoming investments that generate good returns for you are a lot lower than buying something like Microsoft or Apple. So your odds are a little bit worse, but your potential rewards are a lot higher. And I think that goes for a wide swath of these type of high growth stocks. So that's what I would say. I, do I think they'll probably be around in one form or the other 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, who knows who's going to own what? So things can get confusing. And just because a business is around doesn't mean you'll necessarily make money as, as a shareholder. But there is the chance that they do. And so if you feel like you have a circle of competence and can learn about the industry and and make a good responsible bet, and do it. But if you're going into this thinking it's the same as buying a dividend aristocrat that's been around for 50 years, it's not. It's it's a completely different ballgame. Yeah, completely different ballgame. And I think one thing to keep in mind, especially as you're starting out and you're starting to learn about this and exploring the process, a couple things to always keep in mind. You don't have to swing at every pitch. Just because you think you like Robin Hood initially, and once you start digging into it, there could be something that becomes a red flag for you. You can pass. You do not have to buy it just because. And any work that you do on a company, you can transfer to other companies because either it might be in the same industry or it could be just the process of working through learning, you know, using a checklist or learning about a 10K and how to read it. That's something you can transfer to the next company. So it's not a waste of time. And then the last thing to always kind of keep in mind, not every good company is a good investment and not every good investment sometimes is a good company. So I know that could be confusing, but sometimes what makes a good investment is maybe not always a good company. And likewise, because there are different life cycles and different parts of the life. You know, if, if you bought Robinhood at its IPO and then you sold at the height, then yeah, you had a great investment. But that doesn't mean... I'm not encouraging people to do that, by the way, because timing the market is impossible. Impossible. I can't say that enough. And... So, yeah, you could have had a great investment, but that mean it was a great company or a great investment. If you held it for five years, you could say probably not. I guess question I would ask is, are you looking at Robinhood because it's trading at $8 a share? Or are you looking at it because it's something you really want to buy? And the reason why I say that is because some people will look at, air quote, cheaper stocks per share and think, hey, I can get into the stock market by buying this. But you can buy now almost anything in the United States, particularly with five bucks. 
So you can buy Google if you want for $5 and you don't have to buy a Robinhood just because it's $8 a share and it's something you think you can afford. If you have $100, you can literally go out and buy 20 stocks with five bucks each. And so just wanted to kind of throw that out there because I think sometimes people will confuse a low dollar amount per share as, hey, this is a potential I could get into. And it could be. I'm not saying it's not. But just kind of consider that, you know, I can go buy Visa or I can go buy Costco for $8 a share and not have to worry about the difference in the price and whatnot. So just something to consider and keep in mind. Yeah. Perfect advice for a beginner. Perfect. Thank you. All right. So let's move on to the next question. So this came from the newsletter. So this is somebody that sent us in a question and they just subscribed to our Nuggets email and they said they're really thankful for this opportunity that has landed on me. One of the challenges I'm facing now is not knowing what to invest in my late 20s because I'm still in college. So this is, I think, a really interesting question and, and it goes to when you start and what your choices are, even regardless of when you start. What are your thoughts? My read on this question is I feel like this person is saying, because I'm still in college, maybe I don't have as much money. And so maybe I don't have as many investment choices. And also because I'm in my late 20s, maybe this person feels like they got a later start than, than would have been ideal. And I would just say that neither of those things are true you have the world is your oyster and starting in your late 20s is a crazy good head start. Mm-hmm. Crazy good head start. Crazy we all wish good. we started earlier. Yes. But that doesn't mean you don't have super long compounding potential just because you're getting started in your late 20s instead of you know when you're 16 or something. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there's two ways you can probably kind of try to maybe invert this question a little bit. Number one is, yeah, you may not have a lot of money to start with, but as we said in the question before, with in the United States, you have the opportunity to buy just about anything you want on a very small budget. And so even if you're starting out, there's two ways I would look at it. Number one is if I only have 10 bucks a month to invest, I'm still going to put the 10 bucks a month in the market and I'm going to buy something. In other words, you can get started with a very little about money. The other way you can look at this as well is that one thing you may not have a lot of money but you do have a lot of time. And so you can use that time to help yourself learn about the stock market, learn about the investments, learn about how to pick individual investments if that's something you want to do. If if you want to invest in ETFs or index funds, it also gives you the time to learn how those work as well. So you don't have the pressure of, hey, I got a whole bunch of money, I wanna put it in the market now. You can use this time as the opportunity to learn. And then once you graduate and you get air quote real job and you're making air quote real money, then you can start putting that all that knowledge that you've used and learned, you can start putting all that to work with a bigger pot of money. And so it, it can be a way of, I guess, looking at it as, you know, this is my tester or this is my starter fund, if you will. And you can use it to make mistakes and once you get into the real world, so so to speak, then you can learn from those mistakes and start really applying what you've learned. Nothing like getting kicked around in the market to make you learn a thing or two, right? <laughs> right. It'll humble you fast. And that's one of the best teachers you can possibly have. All right. So let's move on to the last question. So we have... 
What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Hello. First off, thank you for taking the time to reach uh, teach beginners like me. I have all but fallen in love with your podcast the past few months and can't wait to get some compounding rolling. Recently, a friend of mine brought up that he had been investing in Southern Company, ticker SO, monthly because his granddad always liked them. I told him that I would use what I had learned from the podcast to analyze the company for him and me just to see if it was still a good investment. Well, I got started and quickly realized that the electrical utilities industry is quite different from others. I know it's a great company and I like what I've heard from management, but I can't get over the fact that it seems like they produce almost zero free cash flow and they have a much higher debt to equity ratio than I'd like. My question is, are there other metrics slash qualities I can use to analyze utilities or should I just go off which company within the sector has the least amount of cons for me? Thanks again, Jake. So this is a great question. And I don't think we've touched much on utilities in the past and maybe some ideas of how you could start trying to analyze those. So I'll give you a first stab at this. All right. Hand it over. I'm going to quote something you told me the other day when we Uh-oh. were talking about stocks. Uh-oh. You know, different stocks have different objectives. And it makes sense when you say it, but you know, sometimes we don't always think that way. For example, some stocks are better to hold in retirement and other stocks are better to hold when you're in the accumulation phase and you're trying to grow your wealth. A stock in retirement, maybe one where you want a higher income, is good for when you're in retirement because it might have lower risk. So you can depend on that income a lot better than you can a fast grower, but the fast grower might have higher returns. Of course, I'm always looking for the have your cake and eat it too. And and there is some of that out there, but it's very hard to find. Mm -hmm. So in general, if you have that spectrum between kind of steady eddy, really low growth, really stable, maybe a higher income versus really high growth, maybe no income, no dividend. I would say on that spectrum, Southern Company probably falls. I'm going to say probably because I haven't done a ton of work on them. Probably falls close to that steady eddy, low growth potential, a lot more income potential. And I think that just goes for utilities with broad brush. It is interesting now to see as things shift to renewable energy, we might be seeing a complete paradigm shift in the way utility businesses are run and have return profiles and all that. But historically, over the last 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years, utilities, maybe not 100. I do think this industry was once a growth industry. So don't... Mm -hmm. 10, 20, 30 years, it's been a very stable, very low growth industry. And it really makes sense when you think about the typical business model of the utility, the regulation that goes with that, and all of those details are what make these investments low growth and very stable. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a that's a fantastic way to think about them. And utilities can be as kind of reinforce what Andrew was saying, they can be a great investment depending on where you are in your investment life cycle. And I think the if you have the same expectation for Southern Company, for example, that you're going to have with Apple, you're probably going to be disappointed. And so I think when you go into investing in different companies, you kind of have to understand what it is you're really biting off before you really start biting it off. And if you want to 
maybe we could talk a little bit about maybe how you could analyze utilities, maybe from a kind of a broader level. I think to kind of start, if you're thinking about utilities, you have to understand their business model and how they kind of operate. And so the first thing you have to understand is they are unlike pretty much any other kinds of businesses because they're regulated. And because they're regulated, that means that they cannot raise prices like Microsoft can or like Nike can. They have to go to the regulatory board that governs them and request to have rates raised because you you think about all of us that pay for our utilities, you know, in our apartment or home or whatnot, those prices are regulated. And so Southern Company or Duke Energy here where I live in North Carolina, prices are restricted. They can't grow like the prices for Nike Jordan are, (laughs) Air Jordans are. And so because of that, then they have a limited upside based on what they can charge. It's kind of an interesting beast because they have to go to the regulatory boards to request the right to raise rates, but it doesn't happen every year. And sometimes it can take two or three, four years before they get approval to do that. And so it's not something, it doesn't operate on the same kind of capitalist structure that we're used to, the free ability to raise rates and whatnot. And so that leads directly to the way that these businesses fund themselves. And so because they have much more limited upside on the rates that they can charge customers, they also have an upside on what kind of margins they can generate. So gross margins, free cash flow margins, like Jake mentions in the question, you're going to find across the board that utility free cash flows are not as great as they would be for Visa, for example. In a large part, that's because of the investments that they have to make. When you think about a utility, they have to build the towers. They have to build the wire. They have to build the transformers. All that electricity, the generation of it, if they generate it themselves. And if they don't, they got to buy it from somebody else. And all of those things are kind of expensive. And so generally, those investments outpace the money they can make from the rates that they charge. And so when you think about that, that means that the investments are going to outpace the profits that the company generates, which means they're going to have a lot of times, especially in Southern's case, they have negative free cash flow and they have had it since 2014. And so it's not unusual for them to see that. So that relates to the debt to equity that he was talking about, it also relates to the free cash flow. So because the company doesn't generate enough internal profits to invest in itself, it either has to raise debt. So it has to has to take on debt or it has to issue equity to generate more money to be able to cover the costs and expenses of running the utility. And so that's why investing in utilities, by listening to this, you can already tell it's a different kind of beast. Yeah, that's such a good explanation of how that all works and the realities of those type of businesses. And like you said, the free cash flow. And what's interesting to me is obviously stock investors have seen returns. So kind of going back to earlier in the discussion from today, 
you can have negative free cash flow for a long time. It's just mm-hmm. what's your time horizon? Are you trying to jump in and out in one or two years? Or are you trying to jump in and stay in for 20, 30 years? Mm-hmm. It's a completely different question again. And so it's kind of what makes this stuff endlessly fascinating. And and I think it was a great breakdown of why these companies are different. And so my question to you would be, that all sounds like terrible things <laughs> because of regulation. You know, you have the cap on pricing and everything that is a result of that. But are there any benefits to the utilities or having the regulation? And why are people even letting the company borrow money if it sounds like they're just going to have negative free cash flow all the time? Well, I think there's a couple of things you could probably think about. Number one, they are absolute monopolies in the areas that they operate in. And all you have to do is move and realize when you want to connect utilities to wherever it is you live, you have a grand total of one choice (laughs) and there are no options. And so like here in North Carolina, it's Duke Energy or you don't have power. So, I mean, you got two choices, I suppose, but so they have absolute monopolies in the areas that they operate in. So that in gives them a very sticky customer base. And so if you think about a place like Florida, for example, which is growing its citizens, so more people are moving there than just about any other state in the country, that gives the utilities there a monopoly on those customers. And so that allows them to be very steady and very sticky as far as revenue generation. And so there's that part of it. And then the other part of it is that the majority of utilities pay very healthy dividends. And so that's what really attracts most investors to the utility field is because they pay very consistent, very steady, very safe, generous dividends. And that's attractive to dividend investors. So for example, Southern is paying around 3.97% in a dividend. And so when you think about the overall returns that you get from an investment, dividends are, in the case of a utility, can be a third to half of your return. And so that's a big deal. And so if the company is growing at 3 or 4% a year in revenues, then you add on another 4% for a dividend yield, you're looking at an 8% return. That's not horrible. And especially if you're closer to retirement or already in retirement, that's like music to your ears because it's very safe. It's very secure. It's not like somebody's going to come in and disrupt Southern Company <laughs> in the utility that they, you know, because you got to think about the billions of dollars you'd have to invest to try to disrupt them. So that's not going to happen. And then you think about how safe and stable and secure that because they're not going to let that go bankrupt. They can't. And so it is what it is. It's a utility. It's something that is going to be there for a very, very long time and goes back to your expectations. So those are some of the reasons why people would invest in in a utility and what can be some of the upsides to the utility. And then you throw in the whole renewable thing, like Andrew was saying at the beginning of this whole conversation. We don't know where that's going to go and we don't know how that's going to impact investments like this. You know, Berkshire Hathaway has Berkshire Energy underneath its umbrella, and they are one of the largest, if not the largest, solar or wind uh, producers in the country. And we don't know how that's going to impact Berkshire 20 years from now as it becomes more stable and regulated and even continues to improve. That could be a huge, maybe not a great pun, tailwind for that company. But that's why people invest in the utilities. 100%. 100%. I think that's... 
think that closes the book on that one. Hopefully, Jake, that helps. Yep. Yep. All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show for today. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those fantastic questions. Again, if you do have a question, please reach out. Newsletter at einvestingforbeginners.com. I will put that in the show notes so you can reach out and ask us any question you want. And with that, we will go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.